Please join with me in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful to have the opportunity to be here today. The freedoms which we have are, are beyond measure in you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your word and the lives as whose giants and the shoulders that we stand on that we can claim as our own and walk in how they walked. And we can see you work in our lives as you did in theirs. I pray, Lord, now you would think our thoughts, that my words be yours, that you would truly bend your will, our wills to your will, and that you would take every single heart gathered here this morning and set it on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's Reformation Sunday, so I'm going to tell you a story. It's the year 1739 in Winford, England, which is eight miles south of Bristol, where I've just spent the last 10 days. On the outside, St. Catherine's Church looks like a beautiful 200-year-old Gothic, but don't let appearances fool you. For what's going on inside tells the whole story. As you walk into the narthex, the pungent smell hits you in the face. As you notice on the floor of the narthex, that's the hallway going into the church, tattered and old attendance registers just laying on the floor. You walk into the church where the diamond-paned windows are broken and tattered from teenage thugs in the village that no one's bothered to fix because no one really cares. There's mildew on the side of the pews and the mold that's growing on the wall lets everyone know that the message that all are welcome is inconsistent with what's going on there. Dibble, the sexton, Sees the curate, that's the assistant rector in old English words. Zach is our curate. Um, we could call him the assistant. Uh, the, the Dibble sees the curate coming over the horizon, so he goes to the bell tower and rings the bell for inspiring Sunday worship as the villagers straggle into the church and have their seat. Where the curate arrives, takes off his rain-soaked black cloak and puts on the white surplice, reads through morning prayer without a sermon in nine minutes, maybe eight minutes and 58 seconds, walks out, takes the surplice off, slams down a tankard of ale, hops on his horse to go to the next church where he's going to do the exact same thing two more times in the morning. The rector of St. Catharines has never been to St. Catharines because he lives in Bristol. He's got a seat at Trinity College, which is a seminary. And so he takes all the money that the church gives and goes to Europe, goes to Lyon, goes to the south side of France. Winford has no say in the matter whatsoever. The light of the Reformation and the good news of the gospel is totally lost in Winford because of the corruption of the church, the greed of the church, and nobody's willing to do anything about it. 20 miles 
northwest of Bristol, however, on top of a slag heap stands a wee little man with a warm smile and a voice that booms through the cloudy day. Standing in the King's Wood on Hannah Mound stands John Wesley as he preaches this morning to 20,000 people without a microphone. (laughs) Telling them from Paul's letter to the Romans that even they, yes, they are loved by God and have meaning and purpose and hope for a future even in the shanty town of 30,000 people in the king's wood. It takes an act of parliament to establish an Anglican church and London doesn't care With all this industrial revolution to go, they're much more busier with getting coal to the ship's captain's houses in Bristol, these beautiful tall brick houses, and all the merchants that support the the sailing industry as well as the slave industry. You can walk down this muddy lane on this morning that Wesley is preaching And you'll see a shanty pub with a sign that says, Drunk for a penny, dead drunk for tuppence, fresh straw. Meaning you can drink yourself blind to pass out safely on the straw. Because a gin-soaked oblivion is preferable for the harsh reality of seven days a week, 14 hours a day of working in this mine. And Wesley comes with the good news that you are beloved by God. They never heard it before. And they responded. And they started going to Anglican church. And they joined the Methodist class in the Anglican church. John Wesley changed not only the face of England with the good news of gospel, He also influenced America because his good friend George Whitfield sailed across using the same open-air preaching method all up and down the northeastern seacoast. Benjamin Franklin came to hear Whitfield preach, and they said, Mr. Franklin, you believe what he's saying? He says, no, I don't, but they sure do. With 10,000 people in Philadelphia listening to Whitfield call people to receive Jesus Christ. Wesley was born in 1703, the son of an Anglo-Catholic clergyman. Samuel and Susanna Wesley together had 19 children. Let me repeat that. They had 19 children. Susanna was a saint. She was an incredible discipler of her children. She took the baptism covenant seriously. And when she had her time in the morning with the Lord, she would throw her apron over her head to have prayer with the Lord. And the children know, don't disturb mother. Because she knew how to wield the rod if you disturbed her time with the Lord. Samuel was a faithful preacher, a very high church. But having 19 kids and the parish didn't pay him much, got thrown into debtor's prison several times. 
One year when John was five years old, the rectory caught on a fire. And the village came out because it was, it was awful. Everybody got out except John. He was up on the second floor. He was looking out the window calling for help where some young lads grabbed the ladder. They took it up there. They scaled up the ladder and fires going all over the place. They got him out and came down and Susanna said, Oh, John, you are a brand plucked from the burning fire. Those words he never forgot. But even as faithful as Susanna and Samuel were in raising their kids, John turned the the Christian faith into a mere moral code. He was a brilliant student, went to Oxford University at Christ Church College where Harry Potter was filmed. Okay, you can do a Harry Potter tour. I didn't waste my money, all right? Um, and as he went there, he graduated with honors and secured a teaching position in theology. Why would you go into theology if you really don't believe it? Well, for what he knew, he, he did believe it. He just felt that salvation needed to be lived unto and your works would help you get to heaven. So he started the Holy Club. Can you imagine going to Kent State University and seeing posters in the student union, come join John Wesley's Holy Club? Right, your snickers and laughs are exactly what the other students thought. Not many joined the Holy Club. But the Holy Club was, they read the Bible, they prayed, they served the poor in Oxford, they did some good things. But it wasn't a response to the gospel, it was to gain favor of the Lord. So he felt a call in 1735 to America, to the God's country swamp of Savannah, Georgia. And he arrived there to take 1662 Book of Common Prayer English service to the American colonists and the Native Americans. How do you think that went over? Exactly, it didn't. On his way over, he was sailing with some Moravians. Those are, it's a movement within the Lutheran church, much like the Methodist movement in the Anglican church. Um, they're from the Czech Republic. And they're coming to America to have freedom of religion. And these, they're in this hurricane. And all the English passengers are absolutely terrified. Including John Wesley. We're going to die! And down below in the hold, this whole Moravian community of about 50 people, men, women, and children, are singing hymns. Totally at peace. John asked the leader of the Moravian church, you guys weren't scared. How did you do that? And he said, why should we be scared when we know the Heavenly Father has us in his hands whether we live or we die? Your women weren't scared? Nope. Your children weren't scared? Nope. At that time, John knew that they had something that he didn't. And it started to wear on him. He became the rector of Christ Church Savannah that year. And he took that prayer book, Christianity, to the Indians. And they rejected it. Wholesale. The, the church people at Christ Church didn't care for him either. Because his holy club just seemed like a bunch of rubbish to the American colonials. 
But along the way, he fell in love with a beautiful young woman named Sophie Hopkins. Isn't that a great name? So young Sophie, he started to court her, and he tried to woo her, and he asked for her hand in marriage, to which she said, I don't think so. And she turned him down. The following Sunday, he's giving out communion, and he doesn't give it to Sophie. Because <laughs> they're gathered on their knees at the communion rail. <laughs> Sophie's father was on the vestry. They didn't take too kindly for this holiness movement of Mr. Wesley. So they wrote the Bishop of London, and after two years of failed ministry, he sailed back. Didn't know what to do. But he had struck up this relationship with the Moravian church. So he went to a Bible study to some Moravians in the Aldersgate section of London, where upon reading Luther's preface to the Roman church, he describes his conversion like this. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me by the Holy Spirit that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Ladies and gentlemen, for the next 50 years, he took this good news of the gospel each and every day, inside the church and outside the church. He wasn't welcome inside the church. And he flipped his model to be a response to the gospel of discipleship rather than be to gain God's favor in discipleship. The holiness club became the method, the method by which we may become disciples. The church people much like our gospel reading, who felt like, thank God I'm not like those Methodists. Okay? The Methodists are willing to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And so this organized thing, within each church, there was a Methodist society. That's all the Methodists within the church. And they would gather once a month together to pray, to sing, there was, from that society, were different classes of 12 people. And in the class, there was a band of three to five people just to, to encourage one another in the truth of the gospel. And they made covenants with one another to be at war with their sin, to be people of God's word in prayer, every day in prayer, every day in the word, coming on the Lord's day, serving the church and serving out in the community to the needs around our community. Sounds like Christianity to me. Doesn't it? Methodists. It was a derogatory term. The snobs couldn't stand it. So when he preached in the local church, they threw him out. So he would go to places like the King's Wood, stop at five in the morning as the miners are walking by, tell them the good news of the gospel, they'd repent, and he'd tell them, go find the Methodist class in your local church. And they got discipled. It was an amazing movement of the Holy Spirit. And God used it mightily. Someone said to him, you need to be in the parish. He said, the world is my parish. And it is said, ladies and gentlemen, that over his entire career that he rode on horseback some 250,000 miles around the United Kingdom. 
It's an amazing story. He saw the need in Bristol for all the orphans that were there. It's a, it's a seaside town. So in the 1700s, of course, there's going to be orphans due to sickness, due to sailors and what have you. So kids are running around without any parents whatsoever. Wesley and the Methodists had a heart for these kids, so they started Sunday school to evangelize and disciple these kids in the reality of God's love for them. The Methodist classes were all ages. Women were allowed to lead Methodist classes. <gasps> How horrifying. And when you went to Methodist class, you agreed that I was going to go to this discipline for this next quarter. And every time you went, you got a ticket. And you had to present that ticket to the Methodist usher at the door. Because on Sunday morning, there was a Methodist class meeting for those people who couldn't meet throughout the week. And if you missed the class that you promised to go to, you had to present that ticket. And if you didn't present that ticket, you couldn't go to church. You had to go to class. You agreed to it. Now, I don't think that's a great idea today. But you see the whole idea that we keep each other accountable in Christ, that we are one with Christ when we place our trust in Christ. And there's ways we live our lives that are not like the world. Because this is the abundant life that we're all looking for. They got it. He never meant it to be a separate church. It didn't leave the Anglican church until after he died. <laughs> About a couple weeks before he died, he wrote to a good friend and said, I fear I'm getting lazy. I find myself wanting to sleep in to 530. It's an amazing story. And Wesley's message for us is as relevant today as it was then because I have seen it. I spent the last 10 days in the former three churches of St. Michael's Anglican Church, St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church, and Church of the Good Shepherd in Bristol. My friend James Stevenson and Wayne Massey were both students under our Bishop Ron Jackson when Bishop Ron was teaching at Trinity Bristol. And they received the call to take these three churches because nothing could be done with them. They're going to die. They're going to have to turn around. They can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. And by the sovereign plan, after two years of robing up and collaring up and teaching people, you know, 1662, Book of Common Prayer, pipe organ only, keep those kids quiet. That's awful cake at the coffee hour. You should have done better than that type of Christianity. The boiler broke at St. Bartholomew's. James said, hallelujah. We got a crisis. Nothing like a crisis to make people move, right? At that point, they said, it's, we can't keep all these churches open. So, we're going to have our offices at St. Michael's. We're going to merge St. Michael's St. Bartholomew's, and we're going to take 50 people from Christ Church, which is an evangelical church in Bristol, to plant B&A Church. B stands for Bishopston, which is the area of Bristol they're in, and A for St. Andrews, because the church is by St. Andrews Park, a church that is a park that has been there since like 1860. It's, it's lovely. People are all over the place, and they see this gospel-centered ministry. 
And James and Wayne just hit Control-Alt-Delete and said, all right, if you're going to be a member of BNA Church, get in a little church. Every one of their small groups became little churches with commitments to reading the Bible, prayer, <laughs> service, coming on the Lord's Day, serving together, holding each other accountable to this agreement. Sound familiar? <laughs> I look at James, I go, James, you're Methodist and you don't even realize it. God has taken that church from a combined attendance of St. Michael's and St. Bartholomew's of about 50 people, and today they're 180. Up the hill is Church of the Good Shepherd, where James and Wayne serve as the preacher at 9 o'clock because the Church of the Good Shepherd won't budge a bit. They like church their way. 1662 prayer book, because as we all know, God speaks Elizabethan English, right? Music must be played on a pipe organ. Clergy must have collars, must have robes, must walk around the altar eight times. And you must bring proper coffee hour desserts. And if you don't, we will tell you. And Wayne and James robe up, collar up. Preach the gospel to these dead believers. They're not even believers. Few are, but they can't leave. And they're going to sell the church to a manual Anglican church, which is an evangelical church with a service just like our 1111. Just like ours, where the gospel is preached. Emmanuel has taken over that church, and they started with 10 people literally six months ago, and they're at 70 last Sunday. The pastor there lives down the street from Wayne Massey. <laughs> he says he's a great guy. Doing outreach, because of those 70, 60 of them are new believers. My friends, as we lift Jesus high, he will draw all people to himself. He promised that. Let's hold on to that. With this heritage, I believe it's going to happen as we walk in faithfulness to him in community. We can't do it alone. So if you're not in a group, get in a group. If you don't like the groups we offer, then make one up yourself. Get yourself, what's your passion? What do you love to do? And come to me. We'll assemble a team and you go do it. Come up with your own agreement. How are you going to live together for a semester? It's, it's, it's fine. That's what Wesley did. Because we can't walk this walk alone. I stood on Hannah Mount. It was hilarious. Nikki Stevenson is, is James's wife. And on our first full day, she came, picked us all up, and said, we're going to give you a tour of Bristol. And she gave us laminated maps of the route that we're taking. Did you know the first suspension bridge in the world was built across the Avon River across the Avon Gorge in Bristol, England. They were filming Doctor Who last Saturday night there. My friends saw Doctor Who, you know. Um, as she's driving us around, she goes, there's a lovely park up here that we want you to see. She goes, something happened here. We got out. 
I walked up to the sign, and it said, Hannum Mound, with a picture of John Wesley. I said, Nikki, this is the King's Wood. She goes, is it? She goes, yeah, look. And I'm rereading the fine print, formerly known as the King's Wood. He stood here, and all around that mound were 20,000. Today, there's, there's Victorian homes, each worth about 1.5 million pounds. <laughs> the, the, there's no, there, the poverty is elsewhere <laughs> in, in Gloucestershire. So we stood there, and they said, Gene, tell us the story. So I told them. And we just visioned this area having all these, instead of these beautiful Victorian homes, shanties. And then we prayed. We prayed for B&A. We prayed for Emmanuel Church. We prayed for his church, Livonia. We prayed for All Saints Holland, Michigan. And we prayed for Christ Church West Shore. That this good news, that's for every single one of us, would flow through us with our passions, with our hopes and our dreams for his glory. Let's walk in those footsteps. We can't do it in our own strength. Let's rely on the Holy Spirit to use us, use our passions and interests because we got great role models. Let's walk like they did because they got the Bible right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for John Wesley because he, like the tax collector, lived, preached, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And like the tax collector in the Methodist movement, all who place their trust in you walk away justified because they've humbled themselves and will one day be exalted. Lord, I pray that this good news of the gospel would penetrate our hearts this morning like never before. That it's simply by trusting in what you've done for us upon the cross would be exciting because it's real, because you're risen and ascended and it's true that we can live in its reality among our neighbors and friends who don't know you. Lord, if we're not in a group, help us to have a hunger to get in a group or form one of, us, of our own. Help us to serve you in such a way that we'd have a third great awakening in our day. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.